Venmo payments. I got some emails about that. Um, Amen, brother. Yeah. Welcome to Extended Clip Podcast, <laughs> Episode 4. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. And I'm Malcolm Baum, another host of the show. I'm JT White, the third host of the show. And if you're new to the show, as we get new listeners every week, this is a podcast where we talk about a couple of films every week, and one will often represent maybe the highbrow, the art cinema, while the other, the down and dirty, baby, the the genre work, the B-movies, if you will. We're dirty boys here. Yeah, hundred percent gutter. <laughs> and it, we got we got a couple uh, we got a couple of good picks on each side of the spectrum today. I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're digging through the trash and then eating it off of a lovely gold plate. We're rediscovering lost classics. Honestly, I don't I don't hear anyone talking about this movie that we're about to talk about. The first one we're going to be talking about is Jean Luc Godard's First Name Carmen. After that. We're going to be looking at Rob Perez's MTV original production, Monster Island. So let's get right into it, I guess. Uh, Prenome Carmen, or first name Carmen, I'm not going to be doing the French thing on this episode. Uh, 1984 movie by Jean-Luc Godard. It's kind of his, he's, you know, four years into this quote-unquote comeback that he's done now after the Ziga Vertov group era. And yeah, we're Godard is going to be a recurring character on this podcast. You know, this is already the second episode we've done talking about one of his films. We vow to never talk about one of his films from before 1967. <laughs> Just not cool. Yeah, no, it's not cool. So today's 1984 effort, first name Carmen. Uh, what'd you guys think about it? I, it was a rewatch for me. I absolutely loved uh, having the chance to uh, go through it all again. Uh, Godard is in this one. Uh, and I think is he's yeah he's Unky Jean uh, in this, and uh, it's great to see him in it. Yeah, he's a really great screen presence. This is one of his peak performances. Uh, I'd have to put it in terms of his comic performances. I'd put it like a notch below uh, "Keep Your Right Up," which maybe we'll talk about on another episode. That is a straight up comedy. This one he is quite funny in though, and it's a great pleasure to see him. Yeah, he's he plays a real dirty grandpa esque character. You know, it's his real his Jerry Lewis role. You know, he's he really just like the vulgarity of him, it really does you know, it's just really endearing to see him, you know, act so relatable. And stuff yeah, like that. At some points when he's like He's holding that stereo. He really channels uh, oh. Radio Raheem. I was, I was thinking uh, for oh, the yeah, 30th totally, anniversary yeah. of uh, Do the Right Thing. Gets to that. We'll, we'll get to that. So it starts with Carmen, the main character, coming to visit her uncle Jean, played by Godard, of course, who's also referred to as Mr. Godard. And he's in a hospital and he's treating it like a hotel. He doesn't want to leave and he just wants to keep getting sick because he kind of ran away from making films. The boombox that JT referred to uh, is what he calls his new camera, which is kind of funny. I don't know. The first thing he says is, when shit's worth money, the poor won't have assholes. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like uh, Godard saying the boombox is his new camera is representative of some of the things he's playing with. He, and, uh, first name, Carmen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, music is obviously a big thing. Mm-hmm. One of the recurring... One of the three main threads of the movie is a quartet playing Beethoven, and they're kind of working on it. You know, the band leader is constantly saying that, you know, one person's either out of tune or not hitting a certain note right, and they're struggling to, you know, pull off, I guess, a cover of what Godard would consider, you know, a masterful work of art. I really like the part, the the man laying on top of the television and rubbing, and like yeah. you just oh, see yeah, him yeah. rubbing the screen at that's, first. And then, that's much later. That's when we get to the uh, Tom yeah. Waits needle drop. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's when they, scra- they scrap Beethoven yeah. uh, <laughs> and just bring in Tom Waits. And you know what? I listen to both of those artists about an equal amount, which is to say not at all because I'm not a fan of classical music per se or of Tom Waits. But both are used to fantastic effect in this film. I think the only place in my heart for both classical music and Tom Waits is the cinema. Yeah. So, Carmen, yeah, okay, name, so- the, the titular character, Carmen, she visits her uncle in the hospital. Uh, she talks to him about making a possible comeback in filmmaking through her. She wants to get some funds, and she's really just pretending to make a film because her and her friends like to rob banks, which is pretty cool if you ask me. Yeah. It's kind of a throwback to 60s, you know, uh, pulpy crime Godard. 
Yeah, the way those sequences are just so fun and like such oh, a delight yeah. to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, there's a really great bank robbery that kind of sets off the main thread that we see for about 40 minutes is this romance between Carmen and the cop that was stationed at the bank guarding it kind of. You know, they knock off the bank and they uh, fall in love for about 40 minutes. Oh, yeah, Joseph. For a few days. Yeah, Joseph, who is a very horny man. Uh, We see his dick quite a bit. I think he hangs dong for about 40% of his (laughs) performance, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. And, you know, you see, you know, for uh, the, you know, naked woman appreciated, there's plenty plenty of that, too. So don't worry about. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I have a note here uh, that uh, for the fellows. Uh, tune in at twenty five forty to watch Carmen <laughs> pee in a urinal while man looks uh, that looks like a just deflated Godard eats baby food and watches her piss in a urinal. So. Yeah, that guy is really funny. That it's not yeah. Godard, but it looks kind of like yeah. how he will look in twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he has that kind of droopy face and he's just scooping baby food out of a jar while watching <laughs> Carmen pee in a urinal. It's that is a fantastic scene. That yeah. is one that really got gets me every time. This is my third time watching the movie, and it really gets me every time. <laughs> it's like him playing with like fat suits. You know, that's kind of like as close as you're gonna get to like a fat suit Godard. Yeah. He does toilet humor so well. I've uh, is it uh, goodbye to language? Yeah, as they're shitting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a, and then there was pissing in in the darkness of time. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so before we just nice. get into all these <laughs> specific, because it kind of is a collection of scenes, but it also moves as a movie usually yeah. does. So we mm-hmm. should kind of at least lay the groundwork. Carmen and her group of friends, you know, they rob the bank, and then she goes to Godard's beachfront property where she's saying that she's making a movie, but Godard was really just giving her funds to you know get guns and stuff like that. So they're hiding out there. The cops are looking for them. Include and you know, so yeah, Joseph is a cop, and they just kind of have a romance for about you know maybe a couple nights, perhaps. I don't. I, time is really hard to keep track yeah. of in this movie. Yeah, it's yeah about a twenty-minute segment of them just like either talking or hooking up or just like shots of the ocean and seagulls. And throughout the whole movie, Godard is cutting to landscapes nearby mid-conversation. But the stuff at the beach house cutting to just shots of the ocean is really remarkable. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. I really love just like seeing some of the images where they're just having conversation in the home where the like ocean sounds and the waves are just overlaid over that are just magnificent. So the rest of the gang shows up. They somewhat trust uh, Joseph after a while, even though they hold it, you know, to the very end, they're a dick to him because he's a cop and cops suck you know why why are there why are they letting a cop hang out with them is kind of the overall sentiment it is pretty lame yeah Yeah. so then he gets arrested but then gets let out i guess right yeah they throw him Mm -hmm. in the back of the cop car and then we don't see him get let out he just kind of meets back up with them later right yeah i think that's uh, what happens i was sort of unclear well i mean it just yeah he glides over a bunch of stuff there mm-hmm. yeah it's we'll just call it a narrative ellipsis and that and not a plot hole i plot guess hole. yeah no someone put this on imdb please. yeah IMDb goofs. <laughs> I'll, I'll add it to the tv tropes database uh, <laughs> uh so then godar comes back he gets out of the hospital you know and he's ready to shoot the film because he is still under the oppression that that's what they're getting ready to do. So he's now going to direct it, I guess, or produce it some capacity. He's going to work with them on the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. And so they just decide to rob a bunch of people at a hotel. So they tell him, Oh, the sets a hotel and we're doing a documentary about expensive hotels and tourists. And yeah, they just get ready to uh, rob a bunch of people hanging out in the lobby of a hotel. And in the meantime, you know, there's a breakup scene of sorts between Joseph and Carmen and it's, you know, it's not full on uh, contempt level of like a 20 minute breakup scene, but it does go on for a while. It's it gets pretty, uh, pretty bleak. Yeah. And they're just mm-hmm. repeatedly, repeatedly telling Joseph that it's just done. He should just go fuck off. But he sticks around. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Those those scenes, you know, especially with Joseph and Carmen are really like I feel like this this movie in, in particular, at least out of the late Godards I've seen. I don't I guess this isn't even that late but it's later and it's really him trying to like mix kind of like some of that 60s whimsy with like his newfound you know more radical tendencies 
Yeah, and this is a really good example of that with mm-hmm. what I was saying earlier. Yeah, with like the kind of it's a weird kind of austere approach to the scenes of like the crime aspect. You know, the bank robbery the first time, the staging is very plain, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's very leaning into its own artifice in a really fun way. It's yeah. really playful mm-hmm. and really ordinary at the same time like just some people just in the background just sort of like not focused to the yeah, to yeah. Robbery it's happening. a weird mix of some people are just reading in the library and they or not in the library it looks like a library there's so True, many yeah. books in the yeah. bank. it's very weird uh i was actually not sure that it was a bank until toward the end of that sequence yeah when you I see thought it glass. was like a library or a bookstore honestly because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of books that are pe- people are reading in one shot of it uh, but some people are paying attention. Some people aren't. The janitor comes out and starts mopping up some blood. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah, it just it ends with a very obscured gunfight, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. in the hotel lobby while they are pretending to make a film and just like robbing people of their wallets and stuff. And nobody, uh, nobody gets off scot free. I'll say that. You know, Carmen tries to get away, and then Joseph catches up to her, and he shoots her. It's, it's heartbreaking stuff. It is. You but know, it's yeah. one for the fellas. Yeah, it is. It's it kind of is. It, it feels like it's treating it very yeah. whimsically at mm-hmm. that point. You know, True, it's yeah. very absurd that whole shootout sequence. But then when the two of them are on the stairs together, both pointing guns mm-hmm. at each other, you actually get a real sense of emotion out of it. Uh, it's like Jean Luc Godard's John Woo moment. You know, uh, with the guns Absolutely. pointed at each other's mm-hmm. heads. It's very, very. Uh, I can't even think of the right word. I'm in the wrong medium right now because I just want to pound on my keyboard and not like actually say real words. It's just that <laughs> that Godard feeling, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that basically wraps up, wraps up the plot of the film. But to go back to some specific stuff, because that's really what this film is about, is these individual moments. The early scenes, there's a lot of footage of traffic in Paris at night. And mm-hmm. it just looks so nice. It's, oh, yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. He really goes off in the landscape shots, like whether they're out in nature or in the city, just mm-hmm. those big sweeping shots that he'll hang on for longer than usual and have dialogue just lapped over it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a retur- there's a recurring shot of two trains passing by over the water that he uses four or five times in the film throughout the whole film. And it's just breathtaking. He's so good at shooting at night. This and Hail Mary has some of this stuff too. There's something about the cinematography that Coutard was doing with him in the 80s as opposed to the 60s that just feels really warm. And even when they're not shooting on video, it almost has that kind of video warmth to it. It's hard to describe, but if you watch, especially now the new Blu-rays of these that Kino just put out, uh, it really is just something else. There's not much in film history i can think of that looks exactly like 80s godard does that's a good plug i think kino should definitely send us uh some Godard blu-rays yeah, yeah i've bought and a few we'll from going. them yeah. they should send me the ones i haven't bought from yeah. them yet like goodbye to language or uh mm-hmm. the other new ones they put out i bought prenom carmen but i didn't yeah. buy the other new ones yet do they make the movies hat kino the hat that just says movies <laughs> no like, that's maybe send me a couple of those yeah no that, i don't kino? think they make that oh, okay but if there's just a hat that says kino i would buy it yeah <laughs> yeah i saw a dude wearing a kino video jacket which was Damn. pretty cool yeah and to double back on the thing about joseph getting arrested and that we don't really know what happens i did just remember there is the scene in the courtroom where he's being tried but that also still has an obscured ending in terms of where he ends up plot wise but i just wanted to throw that out there and there's a really good line in there where is it Carmen who says she basically says that he wasn't taking people's money. He was taking the money of big business. Oh, yeah. And it's like somewhere it was somewhere in between a Bernie Sanders speech (laughs) and uh, in heat when he says, we're not here for your money. We're here for the bank's money. (laughs) No. Yeah. There's definitely a a man man quality to this. this Yeah. It kind of reminded me the outside shots reminded me of the exteriors of collateral. Oh, you know what? Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. The way they, the way he uses like the uh, lens flare and bokeh for the night shots, yeah. especially, does remind me of man. That's one of the only things I can think of that it reminds me of. Yeah. There's one scene when they're at the hotel, so they're wearing these yellow robes at the hotel when they're getting ready to break up, which are really striking. Mm-hmm. Uh, to speak of the cinematography, that's one kind of fetishized object. Is those yellow robes that Carmen and Joseph are wearing <laughs> when they're hanging out at the hotel, getting ready for the big finale, and at one point. 
Joseph asks if she has washed her asshole, and she says that the world is shit, not people. So she doesn't need to wash her asshole, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about assholes in this movie. Uh, Godar at one point says something about if I stick my finger in your butt, something, something, something. Uh, and someone gets mad at him for saying it. And he goes on a little uh, free speech warrior yeah. uh, rant about how people can't <laughs> just say things anymore. It's pretty funny, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's what was on his mind back then. Yeah, he <laughs> pops off on a lot of with a lot of great hits. He says, young people are scum. They didn't invent the cigarette or jeans. Yeah, Nothing. that's a great yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, that's a classic yeah. one. And in that same scene, uh, the producer that he's talking to tells him that, or no, he tells the producer of the film, uh, Carmen's Friend, I hope your documentary is fiction. Uh, yeah. And he just says a lot of mumbo jumbo about filmmaking, which is really mm-hmm. funny because it's like some of his more serious essay films kind of sound like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh but yeah. He's really leaning into just being a dumbass and joking around. In like that scene. he's at various points. I wrote down things that he's holding. He has like a Buster Keaton book in his hand. <laughs> That's in that scene. He has yeah. Variety like with the boom box as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, like, the things Godard says about like the youth in this movie is, you know, it's kind of him being upset that the the eighties generation didn't have like maybe the vigor and interest of political issues that maybe like, you know, the generation that experienced like May 68. Like, yeah, I feel like he's playing with those anxieties and like, just like emphasis. Yeah. I lost my train. Cause, cause train. no, cause right yeah. beforehand, that's when, before he gets into talking about the youth, he says, uh, that Mao was like a great cook. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he fed, fed all, all of China. China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a great line, and yeah. that's like right after he's going through all that, you know, quote unquote Maoist cinema that he yeah. was making. People like to categorize it in varying ways. What he was doing politically mm. with the Ziga Vertov group, and even right before that, with like Lashinwaz and two and th- two or three things I know about her. But I think he still takes politics just as seriously but also just wants to make fun movies during yeah. this 80s period. And that's why it's probably my favorite period of Godard, you know? You have this and Passion, Detective, Hail Mary, mm-hmm. King Lear, Keep Your Right Up. All these films are at once hilarious, and he gets into more specific issues than he would in his 60s ones. He really has bones to pick during his 80s period, and it's a lot of fun to watch him pick at them, you know? I think that wraps up our thoughts on First Name Carmen. Uh, I think we all like this one quite a bit, right? Yeah, two thumbs up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Two thumbs way up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. Right up assholes. Yep. Hey. Like Godard would have wanted. That's what I wanted. Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to try to put both of my <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back for, what's the other movie called? Monster Island. <laughs> For one lucky senior class, MTV is throwing the party of a lifetime. Jungle fever, jungle love. The only problem is their luck just ran out. Welcome back. Uh, Before we get into our second feature, you guys watch anything else uh, of note this past week? Just last night, I watched uh, Cyrus by the Duplass Brothers, their their studio picture with John C. Riley, Jonah Hill, Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei, fucking amazing in this. And it's just like a really solid comedy that has like a lot of like, I don't know, realistic characters. You, mm-hmm. you can buy into it really well. There's a whole lot of heart. I'm not really much of like a mumblecore guy. Okay. Like I'm glad to hear that. Like in terms <laughs> of you liking the movie, that means it might be uh, yeah, pretty good then. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's just like I don't know, the comedy in it like is is really going and uh it was a, it was a solid time. You can't go wrong with John C. Riley. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. He's he's one of the best. For sure. What about you, Malcolm? I watched I watched a lot of things, but I'll just talk about Kotzelmacher. You guys ever heard of this term? Mm-mm. Means troublemaker. Ooh, yeah. You know I'm into that. So uh, <laughs> this is a Rainer Werner fast binder binder uh, movie, and I've been getting into him lately. I've just been agreeing with his moods that he kind of sets. I also watched The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant like a couple weeks ago, and the bo- Katzelmacher is kind of similar to that one in that it plays with uh, just one location 
and Petrovan can't. It's just one room, but Katzelmacher, you get like an apartment complex. And the movie is basically just uh, a bunch of slackers, good for nothing, um, you know, racist, sexist, you know, you know, group of women and men alike, just kind of hanging around an apartment complex until a Greek immigrant played by the director himself, Fassbender, um, moves in and they start to harass him until they eventually, you know, beat him up. And it's a really good movie. It's really, it's probably the most dialogue I've seen in his, uh, one of his movies, like dialogue focused. And it has like, the pacing is very exact. You know, it moves from one location to another, almost in a, you know, rhythmic style, repeating these, you know, setups. It's kind of dry, but I, I mostly found myself enjoying it and what it had to say. And most importantly, just kind of like, I don't know, his movies always put me in a bad mood, but like in a good way. That's very good to hear. I really need to get on my RWF shit. <laughs> uh, the only thing I've seen is Love is Colder Than Death, which I watched maybe two years ago. Uh, I'm not sure if that's his first feature, but it's one of his very early ones. Mm -hmm. And I liked it quite a bit. Apparently, his style is much different as you go on. I have yet to uh, check that out, but I will. Well, I have, yeah, Katzelmacher is his second movie. So Oh, I might check that out then. Okay. Yeah. The only feature I've watched since we recorded last time, other than the two that we're talking about today, was Speed Racer by the Wachowski sisters. Whew, that is a masterpiece right there. That is one of the best films I've watched all year. People have been hyping it up to me all these years, you know, and I always just saw it as one of those vulgar auteurist fetish objects that I wasn't going to be able to fully latch onto, but I would appreciate. And 20 minutes in, I was kind of feeling that. And then by the time it's the flashback of Speed Racer, uh watching races in the middle of the night with his dad and it's just overwhelming i don't know one of the best movies i couldn't help but completely gave myself over to it emotionally which is something i don't really do with movies very often but it really took me away in that regard and on a formal level it's just i don't know they're on a whole nother level there's really nothing like it that's come out since and well maybe the other Wachowski Wachowski films that I haven't seen but it's incredibly unique in its editing and cinematography and use of early CGI I guess that maybe looks ugly to the uh, untrained eye for early digital <laughs> cinema but I think it's quite beautiful you got to be smart to appreciate CGI and you know it's not and it's not flawless forms you really have to Start thinking. Yeah, that's some cool smart guy shit. It's cool smart, yeah. We joke, but it does kind of frustrate me when early digital cinema is kind of just chat on for no reason. You know, when you see people shit on the cinematography of, say, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Kind of, I don't know. Uh, it's something that I'll just say I'm happy I can see the beauty in. No, yeah. yeah, same. Yeah, I was joking, but I love that shit more than anything else. I recently saw, like, uh, like fuck, I think it was, like, 2000s Verhoeven, Hollow Man, and, like, the CGI in that, uh, it looks like, it has such a distinct charm to it now. Mm -hmm. I don't know, the, the artificiality of that early CGI is what makes it good. I don't want it to be realistic. The best stuff is, like... You know, how Hitchcock used rear projection and how De Palma would even use rear projection because of that. You know, the artificiality of that is way cooler than photorealistic CGI. That's just my two cents. It's mine too. Mine as well. That's oh, our hard is, take. Yeah. This is yeah. our extended clip. That's your extended Thro clip. Throwing Six a gunshot there. Yeah. <laughs> Six cents. Six, cents. Six gunshots. Yeah. We should do a segment every week. That's our sixth sense. <laughs> where we, where we, agree on, we all agree on a subject really hard. <laughs> we could do episode two of that right now. Welcome yeah. to episode two of our sixth sense. What do you guys think about the sixth sense? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Holy shit, you guys are stupid. Uh, that's the end of <laughs> that's two cents. episode two. <laughs> sixth sense. Well, the second film that we're going to be talking about today is an MTV production. A film by Rob Perrett. Sorry, I said... I might have said Rob Perez earlier too. Uh, Let me get this did for you say editing. Dave, Jack Perez. Jack Perez. His name is Jack Perez. I sorry, called him Jack. Rob earlier. I'm really sorry about that, Director Perez. Yeah. 
this is a really fun movie. I was very offended when I saw JT had logged it at half a star. So before we even get into the plot of Monster Island, what's your beef, man? Uh, I just like I can like I, I there were parts of it that I was there for. And I th- feel like maybe half a star is a little too harsh. I Maybe I'll, I'll go one star there. I say upon provoked. Uh, but it's just like I can buy into like bad movies for sure, obviously. Um, but I just think this like ha- reeks of the things that are like. Uh, shark to puss all that type of bullshit where it's like intentionally bad in a way that's like not per- like I feel like it loses its charm when it's trying so hard to be trash and I feel like there are moments where I appreciated it like the the kid doing the monkey stuff that was consistently like it was that was annoying to the point that it was funny but for most of it it was just tiresome like the bits I think it stops short of that sci-fi channel Sharktopus versus Dick Nato, whatever. It still has that energy, that passionate energy for B movies. I feel like it yeah. has that. It it doesn't quite have that Corman spirit, but it has something a few grades below that. And there's something really admirable about that perspective taking on a 2004 mass culture time capsule. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah, and also like it. It never feels like it, it, there's genuine love for the B movies. I feel like those Sharknado movies are just like these type of movies suck. And like, you know, the people who make them and enjoy them are stupid. You know, I feel like yeah, Monster Island. no good. Yeah. Hey, I'm not a fan of that. They better cut that out. But Monster Island, I feel like I, I get there's some of that for sure. I, it does play with that a little bit, but I feel like it toes the line enough for me. I just don't think I feel as much of the love for B movies. Like yeah. I like the, the Adam West, Harry, Harry Hausen, uh, <laughs> bit is good. Um, and just the general design mm-hmm. of the, the insects is cool, but like that, I don't know. It doesn't do enough for me in that respect. And I mean, it follows the plot structure for sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think it's having enough fun with the form. I think that's like the, litmus test is that the right word for this yeah uh for how much it actually loves b movies you watch these sci-fi channel ones that are trash and roger corman is often actually involved with these but he's fucking 90 years old uh i think he's at least like done cameos in them i don't know how involved he is but i know that he in some capacity is involved anyway those look like shit and they're just that typical uh over edited handheld digital stuff that we see today and this is something that has really affecting camera movement and zooms that are like kind of tasteful in a trashy way. And a lot of really fun stuff that you would see in those low budget, you know, 50s and 60s monster movies. The form is just, I think, really, it kind of took me by surprise. Like stuff is just visible. I thought this was going to be more of a TV movie, but it looks good other than the very early CGI, which I think looks good in a different way. But in general, it's a very good looking movie, in my opinion. I'm I'm not as much there for that. I don't like I didn't see like I got that it was going for the style and like I, I like I certainly do appreciate that more than like um some of the other T V movies I've seen that are just like a house style. But it just still didn't feel like anything special like i mean admittedly a lot of those b movies were shot in ways that weren't like particularly appealing um but like it it still didn't do it for me i get you i mean look it has a 2.3 on letterboxd right now so you know how does it feel to be part of the popular opinion fuck the consensus i hate the mainstream this is the only mainstream opinion i have you could fact check that nice well yeah it's sometimes the contrarian opinion right it is to sometimes you side with the mainstream sometimes to you know give off an appearance that it's not just you know calculation such as the <laughs> avengers is a experimental anti-film take. Exactly. yeah <laughs> anti-film yeah no yeah i said i came up with that actually oh you were the one that posted that yeah. originally yeah on my other account oh nice <laughs> That's just your account for fun. You yeah, know? my fun yeah. fun and games. Do yeah. we need to run through the plot for this yeah, bad boy? Yeah, I think boy? we do. Uh, I was about to do that. Oh, cool. Uh, so, our main character, played by Daniel Letterly. What's his name again? 
I don't know. This guy sucks. Yeah. Honestly. Oh god, uh, that's, that's what you, keeps it from being like a three point five. Is like this guy is uh, uh, trash. Uh, uh, it's like the worst so main character funny. ever. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's kind of funny how bad he is. Like the first fifteen minutes are hilarious. <laughs> how poor his behavior is. Like is he says he like I love the line where he says like I don't like going to parties. It's not that like I don't like to have fun. Like I just don't like them telling me what to do. Or what, which is just like that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Uh, he's just the most antisocial dickhead. Yeah. Who's just like his sister wins like a big party for yeah. him with Carmen Electra, yeah. and is just like couldn't be more pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is. He is a contest winner. His sister entered him in the contest to have his whole senior class party on a private island with Carmen Electra and a bunch of MTV VJs. Uh, I got to say, it's not like the most loving portrait of the MTV network. I'll say that like it does a decent job at not being MTV reality show propaganda, you know? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. That was like a neat yeah. aspect it, to it. They didn't that they go full able, in, but like, yeah, yeah they were yeah. able to poke enough fun at themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the commentary extends to about like, you know, get this on camera. Just when like <laughs> so there's a monster attacking a kid, they, they pull that line out i'd say a good 20 to 30 times like yeah. you gotta, gotta get this on camera it's very yeah. night pre-nightcrawler fans of nightcrawler <laughs> that's true this is, i will say this is a better film than nightcrawler <sighs> easily folks yeah <laughs> i love see i love that take so we gotta <laughs> more takes have to be produced like that you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, so God. he wins the contest they go to the island he's just really pissed off especially because his girlfriend dumped him because he was being too sarcastic and didn't want to protest with her yeah he didn't want to recycle he didn't care about anything Honestly, and his solution like was a, to be more apathetic yeah i feel like that's uh the biggest relationship killer of the dsa i was like is, i was dsa guy i'm yeah, like this DS, guy's a dsa, guy. <laughs> DSA guys, man they're not sh- they're not doing enough praxis yeah. so they're actually yeah. active girlfriend dumps them you know yeah. they're all theory no praxis i know dude and it's like someone who like does so much leftist praxis in real life it really just it's just funny to see those characters like displayed <laughs> on screen and how little their praxis is yeah and he gets left used. for a neo-lib yeah true true yeah. neoliberalism who do you think this guy was supposed to be like john Kerry? john Kerry. because this was like coming up on the 05 or 04 election oh so i feel like because i wrote kind of a political movie in my notes <laughs> it, honestly it has it's the thing where it's a product of its time and in that sense it's a political movie but the guy the chad that the main character's <laughs> girlfriend leaves him for fancies himself a politician he used to be an eagle scout and now he wants to be a politician so he gives a bunch of speeches every time he's at like a party he's just giving speech that's the only way he knows how to talk and he I think it's a. Pr- they do a pretty good job at doing that kind of empty gesture of a character. Like he sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah in a good way. And it's like you know, it's he sucks more than the main character sucks. And like as the movie progresses, the main character shut up, shuts up more of the time and is <laughs> lit more about that action, like his ex girlfriend wanted. Yeah, yeah, he really doesn't even change. He's just quiet. He's like just, you, you hate him so much in the first fifteen minutes. He he, lear- he learns stoicism. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of his character introduction, though, in that first fifteen minutes, is when the MTV producer takes him and his sister backstage to meet the guest of the hour, Carmen Electra. Mm-hmm. And sh- he goes through her CD. Yes. <laughs> yes. Got a lot of decent stuff here. Radiohead. Queens of the Stone Age. Ramones. All right. Always been a rock girl. Ramones are the best. Joey was totally underrated in his day. Right on. A man with taste. So, you know, he obviously impresses her with his expansive knowledge of rock and roll from the yeah. Ramones to like, Queens of the Stone Age to radio. He's like, I, I, did you get, did you check out Anima? And there's even a nod to a Roger Corman production in that same scene. Uh, mm-hmm. When she asks, she asks him if he's seen rock and roll high school. And so, yeah, oh, yeah. that's a really cringeworthy, like, uh, the wish fulfillment type scene yeah but i think it's a 
it's kind of funny in that sense as his only setup for the reason why he wants to rescue her is because he thinks she wants to fuck him just because he knows who the Ramones are. And there's a scene like halfway through the movie when they go to look for Carmen where his bodyguard's like, you know, she's not going to have sex with you, right? Like she's in love. (laughs) (laughs) It's very ambiguous too. I'm like, what do you mean by that? I think she had it in her contract that she could not be romantically involved with any of these young boys. (laughs) Because then later on when they save her, she's like, I'm married, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Just another, another trick, you know? (laughs) So they meet Carmen Electra, then she goes on stage. And while she's performing, we see a giant flying red spider come take her and her bodyguard away. And the hunt is on. But everyone else leaves because they just like, they don't want to go search for Carmen Electra. They're not real fans. Yeah, yeah. that's stupid. They're like, yeah, they reject celebrity culture. <laughs> while, while the DSA guy, he learns to embrace it <laughs> through his newfound circumstance. Yeah, it's really a movie about toxic fan culture. <laughs> <laughs> so the main cast of characters sets off. It's our main man, whose name I'm forgetting already. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. Well, let's just call him uh, Jed. So uh, <laughs> there's his right. uh, Jed. Okay, there's Jed, uh, his nerd best friend. Some great scenes with that. The nerd. The, the nerd, nerd best good, friend yeah. who like wants his sister's pussy. Yeah, yeah. younger sister. They're yeah. eighteen. She's seventeen. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's not okay. <laughs> hey, he's Someone's not afraid to say speak it. up about yeah. these issues. Yeah, somebody has to say something. MTV. I'm writing a letter right now. You better not air this movie ever fucking again. <laughs> there's the nerd. Um, there's the monkey friend, the guy yeah. who likes too much sugar. The Polly Shore stand. <laughs> yeah. He is very Polly Shore like. He's kind of a frat bro, but it, he kind of has a weaselly voice. And he does a thing that he calls being the monkey, which mm-hmm. is like Polly Shore's weasel, I guess. Uh, but he's just jumping around and then he finally gets a big banana at the end, which is cool. Yeah, I think he's I think he's like one of the, he's like a Johnny Knoxville, like, you know, like like secret nihilist. Like it seems like like there's no uh, reason to his action but there's like a scene where the jed the jed character is like i don't know what i'm doing you know and then uh scooter or whatever his name is <laughs> okay <laughs> so it's jed, the jed the nerd and wait is the nerd no, scooter jed, no. we're calling jed the main guy yeah, yeah i know yeah jed yeah no but then there's the nerd yeah the there's nerd. the nerd and is scooter, scooter the monkey scooter the monkey yeah is, um, <laughs> he's like that's those are the best moments so you know there's there's a he's not just a clown he's kind of like a he's a knowledgeable one <laughs> so it's them and it's the ex-girlfriend played by a younger mary well younger than we're used to mary elizabeth winstead uh mm-hmm. who was she popular between this movie and like five years ago i don't, I don't know her career i think she was, she did t- tv stuff i, I don't, don't know, know. I'm yeah. not familiar. I don't either. even have a TV. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't watch. Television. I cut the plug. <laughs> <laughs> I cut the cord years ago. I just read graphic novels like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I just use Hulu. Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> so it's them, and it's the new Leo Neolib boyfriend, and they all set out to hunt, and one of the VJs and her cameraman mm-hmm. also. Wait, did, did you say her uh, the main character's sister? And the sister. Yeah. 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 So they all... And the Carmen Electra's bodyguard. And, yeah, uh, his name is Eight Ball. Eight Ball. He's pretty cool. (laughs) Fun character. He has a great saying. (laughs) He's he's a fun character. Uh, So then they are looking for them. They can't find them. They come upon Adam West, and he explains a whole lot about the history of the island they're on. It was taken over by the U.S. military from its native inhabitants, and it turns out those native inhabitants were either forced to leave or forced into an underground slavery ring ran by the mutant ants that the uh, H-bomb produced. And the wildlife, our findings, well, by now, you know the results. Yeah, horny nuclear mutants. Oh, I'm- it really, I can't find the word for this, but it, it takes the burden off of the U.S. military's back for their <laughs> actions. It really, you know, washes their hands, so to speak. Does it? I think it condemns them. Condemns them a little bit, but it's just like, and it's the the ants that are <laughs> enslaving them. It's uh, <laughs> actually a bunch of bugs. True. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> just an, honestly, just another piece of U.S. propaganda. This monster, this monster island. I 
look, I was going to say that it's not. I think it's mm-hmm. an anti-imperialist, oh. anti-colonialist, anti-war movie. Mm-hmm. Pro-science movie. It's rockist. Uh, <laughs> it is, yeah, it is a rockist movie. I'll say that. Uh, Carmen Electra's performance of her pop song. It's funny how he's like totally vibing out after. To it True, yeah. after she said i've always been a rock girl and they like had yeah. the you know eye contact fucking <laughs> yeah. over queens of the stone age yeah some some blue velvet vibes to those stage performance <laughs> scenes it is so horribly lip-synced i feel like it yeah. had to be that's like a self-aware joke because yeah. she's not even singing half the time she's just making eye contact mm-hmm. with him while she's dancing and then kind of lip-syncing the mm-hmm. other times Carmen Electra, very pleasant in this movie. You know, I feel like she she just plays. So it's like, oh, I'm Carmen Electra, yeah. and th- I'm nice in real life. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's pleasant. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, she's nice. She doesn't get to do too much. You know, yeah. right when she gets taken away by the flying ant, ten minutes into the movie, you, you realize know. we're not gonna see her again until the last ten minutes. I'm gonna guess. Well, there's a cut, and to then her. there's a cut to her hiding, but that's it. Trying yeah. to fuck a bug. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. She tries to bribe it with sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool, I guess. It didn't. It didn't really. It comes up again in the blooper reel. Yeah. Uh, her laughing through that scene. Charming. So, so I guess charming. She did have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is nice in real life. Yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> so I would say this Carmen better than first named Carmen. Yeah. I'd say far nicer in terms of attitude. And she sure. likes rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> she likes. She likes this all the bands true. I like. That's <laughs> so cool. That's, isn't that so cool when that happens? So this meeting with Adam West is where they learn that these bugs they're dealing with are horny nuclear mutants, oh, as yeah. one character calls them. And uh, the island is also shortly going to sink, which I think is also like shouts out global warming. True. That's He was talking about the sea levels rising, chaotic and climate. This is an era of an inconvenient truth. I feel like that <laughs> documentary is fresh in people's... Is it? Actually, I don't know when that came out. Yeah, we're not going to fact check that. That's true. What yeah, I said I'd say, true. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. say, yeah, unapologetically. But it did come yeah. out in the same era as Michael Moore's Slacker Uprising. True. Which yeah. you could see the main character projected into that movie where it's about <laughs> these, you know, ramen-eating, disaffected mm-hmm. kids who don't want to vote for John Kerry, but they need to get Bush out of office, and they didn't. Damn. Yeah. Also, It didn't work. It turns out Michael Moore making a documentary, (laughs) calling them slackers and throwing top ramen at them, didn't get uh, Bush out of office. Damn. To go down a different path, I feel like there's a movie Larry Clark directed called Teenage Caveman, where it's... It's a bunch of teens trapped in a house for some reason. And there's like a caveman. Very different from a lot of his other films, but still, you know, about teen sex. And I I feel like I want to watch that movie now after watching this one. That's all. Yeah. Just a random thought. All right. So so. after they leave uh, Adam West's little laboratory, they keep at their hunt. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, her name's Maddie. I remembered that. Yeah. And it's not because I'm looking at the IMDb right now, <laughs> or I have the other characters' names, but I will not reveal them. <laughs> Good. It'd mess up the cycle. It'd really yeah. confuse people. It would. So Maddie, she finds this like ancient necklace on the ground, and uh, I turns out it belongs to the native tribe, and her putting on that necklace makes her the native tribe's warrior goddess. Doing some tribe voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Deep, yeah. deep, the, deep the, all-knowing tribe voice. Yeah. Okay, forget what I said about this yeah, being and, a possibly political movie. <laughs> then it gets really racist yeah. because she she turns into a war... She really just sounds like uh, Wonder Woman. She sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, she sounds like Gal Gadot during, doing her Israeli into American accent. Yeah. She doesn't sound like she's doing much of an accent. But then we meet the other tribe members who are... All white people. Oh yeah, that was ooh. that was rough. Yeah, a that, real love letter to the you know the genre. A little exactly. throwback. <laughs> it's just like the Coen Brothers uh, yeah. in Ballad of Buster Scruggs, using those old stereotypical, out of date, very racist portrayals <laughs> mm-hmm. as homage to the history of the genre. And the director of Monster Island would agree with me that depiction does not equal endorsement. <laughs> Look, we have to talk about it every week, whether it's Marty Scorsese, Jack Perez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's doing her really annoying thing, and then they come up. So uh, along the way, they've met a couple of monsters. They met Rudy, who is a cute little uh, kind of gremlin-esque thing mm-hmm. that uh, Adam West keeps at his lab with him. Oh, just a mutt named Rudy, but he wasn't trying to eat your friend's brains out. Little fellas in the heat. Good thing orifice identification isn't a strong point. 
They meet. Doesn't have an orifice locator as Adam no. West. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was trying to eat pussy. I guess. That's yeah. like the, that. That's what Adam West was getting at. He was saying some weird stuff, talking around it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's that's what led one of the characters c- to call them horny mutant insects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, is that we see the two big insects fuck after yeah. that, right? Yeah, it's yes. after that. So we meet one of those giant giant praying mantises oh, at yeah. first, and then we meet both of them, and it looks like they're gonna fight. But they end up fucking, and so the female one bites the head off yeah. of the male one. This for is a those fantastic of us scene. Familiar yeah. with biology, you, yeah. you could see what was coming. Yeah, like the nerd. It's, character. A, it's a clue there. It's like wait, what? Wait a minute. I think I know a little bit something more. Yeah, I didn't know. So as the uneducated viewer, I was like, <laughs> damn, what? damn, they're having sex. That's I was like, but that's but, cool. <laughs> but what? <laughs> what? You know? That like was, I guess that's cool too. <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And then the uh, the female, the lady uh, praying mantis, chases them for a while, and they get across a bridge. It doesn't seem like Eight Ball is gonna make it, but then Eight Ball comes through with an abandoned tractor and like heroically runs it off the cliff, but also runs himself off the yeah. cliff. <laughs> Absolute hero, Eight Ball for Just no the reason. God. Yeah, <laughs> they <laughs> killed off the best character himself with like fifteen minutes left. Yeah. That's powerful. I gotta save these kids for some reason. <laughs> you know. Right after I wrote Eight Ball the God, I wrote all of these actors are strangely uninteresting because, yeah, you're left with a bunch of uncharismatic people mm-hmm. and it's just kind of funny. I don't know. It's that's the part that's definitely not intentionally funny or maybe it is. It's just how bland these actors. Yeah, because they spent all the money on like location and celebrity cameos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Some of it seems wonky, like the the nerd who yeah i don't know his name but like i like you don't buy it like it's it's just like so like it's like him putting on nerd face or something like that just him doing <laughs> yeah. the dark there's one scene i love in the particular where he has a big backpack that he carries without oh, throughout the forest shit. and he has a bunch of tactile books and he talks about oh i just love the feel of a, a real book and he's talking to the sister which he's actively pursuing and you know, she pulls out a book out of her purse and she's like, I read too, or whatever. And like, this is when the nerd realizes, you know, he's found the one, they, the they, real one. They drop a few authors. It's just yeah. like the music scene. Yeah, it's just, it you got to get a cool girl that likes the pop culture you like. Exactly. Yeah, she says Jane Austen and Judy Bloom. <laughs> and some others. There was a couple. There was one more in there that I forgot. Yeah. So after they escape the praying mantis, they find the cave where all the ants are holding... Uh, Carmen Electra. First, they have to fight off one ant at like the top of a cliff, and it's a kind of fun action scene. And they do a quick little switch to a practical bug from the CGI one when it's actually pinching at them, and it looks pretty cool. I don't know when they switch to the practical bug, it really gets me. It looks cool. It feels like an old one. And there's like a swamp thing like character named yeah. Piranha Man, oh, and yeah. that's a full practical effect. It's just a guy in a suit, and all of those scenes are fun to me. I don't know. I like him. He just beats the shit out of them. Yeah, it was literally just hand-to-hand combat, which was the the most striking thing about it. So they find the ant colony, and the queen is the one they need to kill, I guess. And Adam West shows up, and he has like the formula to kill the queen. And they rescue Carmen Electra. It's just, uh, you know, I wish it was more with the explosions. But there's a sequence of them getting out of that cave, and then it's just rocks falling on them for about three <laughs> minutes straight. Oh, God. That and it was seems unbearable. like there's just four production assistants throwing rocks <laughs> oh, yeah. from, from a high vantage point. It was pretty funny because it just kept going. Yeah, and like, I feel like they get hit. Like, there's a character, the scooter character, he gets hit <laughs> by rocks multiple times, and it's just like, just bring another. Like, it, no real consequences to these, to, to all the rocks we see. <laughs> a lot of rocks we see, and none of them really hit. Or oh, also pertaining back to the incel Jed, uh, his relationship drama. At this point, uh, sort of the B story with like the boyfriend. Uh, he has like sold out uh, to MTV. Yeah, the the neo lib politician boyfriend, him and the vj that were along they tried to go escape because the mtv producer were going to come pick them up on a boat neither of them got picked up on the boat the vj got caught in a spider web he was just on the shore so then the rest of them after they get out of the cave they're on the shore all these rocks are falling on them 
and a helicopter shows up driven by who but special appearance by nick carter everyone's favorite backstreet boy yeah that's what we have to say yeah yeah no when this movie started and it said special appearance by nick carter i was very excited and they really held out till the very end yeah i'm pissed that they gave it all away at the beginning you don't lead with that you have it in as a surprise yeah and then you cut to black and the first credit is special appearance (laughs) by nick carter nick carter who literally just shows up and he's just like hey let's go yeah and he picks them up and uh jed rips the warrior necklace off of mm-hmm. uh maddie's neck and, and she, she gets, stops being racist and she yeah. stops being racist and starts being his girlfriend again <laughs> uh it's very funny i mean come on that's so stupid and unreal it mm-hmm. can't be taken seriously you just have to laugh it's a lot yeah. of fun to me and then we get six minutes of credits uh, uh. a full full six minutes of like video credits a couple bloopers you get the little like uh, shot for a couple seconds of each actor with their title again, and then you get each of the bugs get their own like curtain call at the end. Uh, you get the Queen, Mister Mantis, Mrs. Mantis, Piranha Man, the Soldier, the Spider, and Rudy. The Spider is who killed the VJ. We just see like a really quick half second shot of the Spider descending uh, at the camera in a POV shot of the VJ. That's a pretty fun kill. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it's very I, silly. I love, it's fun. I love how the spider web is, yeah, just literal rope, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's rope. It's a giant spider that shoots out rope, which is kind of cool. Busting ropes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't Mad know. This rope. was a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. It doesn't have that full Corman spirit or anything like that, but it's a valiant effort. It looks competently made uh, despite the lack of budget in the CGI department, but I am a fiend for that early digital shit. So early CGI stuff generally looks kind of fun to me, even if it looks technically shitty. Uh, it has a 2.4 on Letterboxd right now. I say we try to raise that shit. I gave it three. Extended clip fans, go give this movie five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah. We want this to be top rated. It's going to overtake Booksmart and whatever A24 picture <laughs> is out there right now. So please. Yeah, fuck Midsummer. Midsummer. This is, uh, this is this summer's Midsummer because it's not Midsummer anymore. This is yeah. uh, Monster Island. Ari Oster hates horror movies, and this this movie <laughs> loves them. So. This is better than Hereditary, for sure. Yeah. I say no, that yeah. without irony no, yeah. at all. Yeah, it's better no, than Hereditary. Yeah. It's better than Nightcrawler. It's better than what other movies have to do with this. I don't know. Shape of Water. It's definitely better <laughs> than The Shape of Water. Yeah. Holy shit. It is so much better than The Shape Less of horny. Water. Less horny. A little more respectful. Well, it's more <laughs> respectful, Harney. Yes. It's more classically Harney. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think that's about that's about it for this week, right, boys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got yeah, I gotta go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well uh, See you can, Malcolm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you can See hit ya. us up on Twitter at extended clip sixty nine. I'm at iPod underscore video. I'm bitchface palace. I'm uh, Tall Boy Thin Legs. And we're on Apple Podcasts now, Ooh. so you could just search us, and you could actually give us a rating now. You could rate us five stars and talk about how dumb we are, or smart we are, or one star, whatever. I don't care if we you get a high rating, maybe. Just, like, give us a rating. Yeah. That's, yeah. We, we, how we know stars? you love rating yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you're someone who listens to our podcast, you like giving star ratings to things. It's just, it. there's no other way. So go do it. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.